Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome once again to the Empower Humans podcast, my friends. This is episode 56, and this is a great one. We're talking today a lot about business, and whether you're in business or not, or maybe aspiring to start your own business, you don't want to miss this episode. There is some great, great material here as far as the growth mindset and the things that we apply interpersonally with others, whether you, again, whether you have a business or just a family or relationships or a roommate, but on a business level in particular of maximizing performance and elevating ourselves to this highest level possible. And I want to point out, we're talking here with Jill Valdez, who is a very dynamic, intelligent woman who is also the founder of Link, which is a company dedicated to helping other companies increase performance maximize their potential, uh, meet all their goals and purposes, and also all the interpersonal interactions with people and make these things uh, just go through the roof to make the business everything it's supposed to be to meet its full potential. We had an excellent conversation. We talked a lot about all kinds of examples from AT&T to McDonald's to uh, Walt Disney and Steve Jobs and all kinds of concepts in between. I can't say enough about this dynamic woman. By the way, she does a lot of consulting for businesses. You can reach her through just texting the word LINK, L-I-N-K, to 31996. Everyone's got a cell phone for the most part these days. Text uh, the word LINK to 31996. We talked a little bit about some interview questions, which uh, can help, uh, obviously, on the interview side of things when you're running a business looking for the right people. Uh, you can text the word QUESTIONS to 31996 as well. Uh, again, questions to 31996. And as always, I want to remind you, our audience, you are priceless. Before we get into this interview, you're absolutely priceless. You're worth more than all the riches. The riches are found in you, my friends, and you're never alone. Don't ever believe the lie or the delusion that sometimes we create for ourselves that, oh, I'm alone, uh, because we all struggle. We struggle as people, but that's why we're doing this podcast and we bring principles to the table that we can all apply to create these environments, to create an atmosphere and a culture in our lives and with those we interact with of growth, of joy, of success. And I just want to remind you of that as always, our challenge is also study, keep studying if you have been, start studying if you haven't been, find some books, find some material. I, I heard, by the way, recently that of all the material, of all the content, let's say, that's been created from the start of mankind up till about 2002, I believe, now at this stage of humanity, that's being created at a rate of every two days, that same amount of content every two days. So you got to be careful what you look for and what you uh, consume, but there is so much material and education to be had out there. And go to audible, audibletrial.com slash empowerhumans, get a free trial, get a free book, uh, and start there. Uh, also, aside from studying, make great moments in your life. Celebrate people. Celebrate these holidays we've got coming up around the time of this podcast. And always, there's always things to celebrate in our lives. Celebrate daily. Wake up celebrating and just get your mind right from the start of the day. Sometimes we all struggle with different things, but get concepts and habits in our minds on a day-to-day -day level. The word habits uh, goes back to also the roots meaning clothing that we put on. So what are we getting dressed with each day? What are our habits in the morning to really start our day right? So make great moments, and uh, that's with the people around us. That's in our own selves. we got to start with ourselves first. And the last thing is always, let's keep doing this podcast together. I can't say enough about Jill Valdez. Contact her through these text opportunities, 31996. Text the word uh, link, 31996. 
and, or the word questions. She'll get into the interview questions, 31996. And here, without further ado, is our interview with the one and only Jill Valdez. We're privileged to be here today with Jill Valdez, who helps businesses, help manage people, all kinds of great concepts, and we're going to get into a lot of that here today. Jill, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you today, Phil? I'm, I'm great as well, and it's a privilege having you here. Um, I'm traveling, so we have a little bit different. I might have a little bit of an echo because I don't have the same kind of acoustics as usual. You probably don't hear that on the phone, Jill, but uh, in any case, uh, and now you're down in, in Arizona, I understand, right? I am. I'm in northern Arizona. Okay, northern Arizona. Not quite as hot, but it's still a hot area, isn't it? <laughs> It does. It gets warm, but once the sun goes down, it cools down 10 to 15 degrees. Very different from the valley. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And see, I grew up in Albuquerque, so I've been through Arizona a lot, all the different uh, ups and downs of the temperatures and the flagstaff to Phoenix and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. <laughs> very diverse. I'm, sma- I'm literally smack in the middle between flagstaff and Phoenix. Oh, okay. Good. Well, then you got uh, two directions you can go. For a little yeah. cooler or a little warmer or hot, to be quite honest. Yep. <laughs> um, now, you have been helping people. You've been doing what you do for, he says, over 18 years from what I understand it. And uh, let, let's get into a little bit of your background and then we can talk a little bit more about this. But uh, what brought you to this place and where where did you grow up and so on? Sure. So I grew up in Southern California. Um, I was a beach bum and uh, grew up in that area, loved it, and mm-hmm. once I got into being an adult, um, I was an executive for a nonprofit corporation. Basically, I was an executive pastor at a couple of different churches. One was a startup, uh-huh. and uh-huh. we started with literally me, my husband, and our three kids, <laughs> and grew that company, grew that church to being a multi-site church and loved it, but knew it was time to move on to the next adventure. And we went to an established church and there it was kind of helping them revamp their systems, um, improve how they were mm-hmm. managing volunteers, developing them. And then in 2016, the church went through a financial struggle yeah. and, um, and I said, well, here's my salary. You know, not like it was huge, but it was a it was something that would help. And then I needed to go out and get a job. Mm. So I got into the marketplace and found that the things that I did, I was really surprised to find that a lot of businesses didn't have those things in place, like process development, people development, um, good training programs. I, I assumed that many companies already had that. And so I found that not to be true. I, I got on with a company, absolutely loved working with them. It was a communications company in San Diego. Yeah. And when I was there, I, I really realized that this is such a passion of mine and that I don't want to help just one company at a time as an employee and they totally agreed. And so they helped me uh, kind of take that next step of starting my own agency. Hmm. Okay. And that would help me or that would help other companies be able to improve their people management. Right. Right. Now, and I understand somewhere in that mix, you also got your BA in psychology, right? I got it. Yes, I did. I So all my adult years, I, 
I did not go to college right out of high school. I was uh-huh. one of those really rebel ones. I went through a super rebellious phase in life. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and was like, um, and, but then realized, you know, as I was getting older that, oh, wow, I really do want to get a degree. I love helping people. So psychology was natural for me. So I took all my general ed. And then I did end up getting my bachelor's. And then in 2018, I got my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology. Oh, wow. Yeah. Industrial, or- let's see, there's all kinds of branches <laughs> of psychology. So what's, uh, what's kind of the differentiation where you talk about industrial, what was it? Industrial organizational, organizational psychology. psychology. Okay. So what, what is that differentiates that? Um, so it's really the psychology of business. Okay. And we talk about uh, leadership theory, development theory, motivation theory, and I take the psychology of people and then apply that to what's going to be most effective in an organization to, to get the best out of their people, to give the best to their people, and ultimately what that does for a company is it increases their efficiency, increases their effectiveness, increases their customer service. So it improves their bottom line mm-hmm. without having to go through this big chaotic change management process. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so that's a, a kind of a different spin on the psychology. Uh, I mean, it all kind of flows through the same, we're all humans in one form or another, but in the business aspect of our lives or running an organization how we unfold all of that in that uh, kind of context, it sounds like. So uh, so tell me more about that, though, because you talk a little bit about uh, helping uh, companies overcome obstacles. What are some of the obstacles that companies face generally? Typically, what I've been seeing is that they don't have good training processes in place. They think that if they just do this great onboarding training at the very beginning, that they don't have to keep training their employees for the rest of their time there, mm-hmm. um, that all of a sudden, just through some form of osmosis, the, their employees are going to understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing. Um, the other thing is they have either super complicated processes or absolutely no processes. And so they just kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Either way, they're, their team can't get behind what is happening because they don't understand it. It's either too complicated mm-hmm. or it's, it exists somewhere in some manager's head and then you change managers and the whole thing changes all over again. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do companies do then to overcome when you talk about the training side of things, what, what are some best practices uh, to kind of, clean up that side of, of the business? That's such a great question. It actually takes going a step backwards and um, initiating more feedback loops and finding out what people don't know. If managers were to ask their employees what it is that they don't know, like I was working with this client and mm-hmm. they had soup, they were one of those ones with the super complicated processes And Mm -hmm. so everybody just pretty much ignored it and kind of did, oh, well, this is what I think is the right way to do it. And so we were in a meeting, we had a team meeting, and the the manager was like, I just don't understand why you're not doing this. And she said, 
the employee said, I had no idea I'm even supposed to do that. Mm. Well, the manager was floored. She's like, you've been with me for nine months and you didn't know that was a part of your job. So companies have to go and say and figure out what do their team members not know. And that comes with assessments. It comes with um, lining up the job descriptions with what's actually happening. And it comes through asking questions of their team of how things are going and what are they doing. And, and so it takes a little bit of an investment in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from there, then they can say, okay, this is an assessment of where you're at. This is where I need you to be. Here are the tools that I'm going to provide for you to get there. Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's and I see I've listened to and read some a lot of business books and good to great and all these kinds of things that that talk about best practices in business and it's kind of some of the differentiators we talk about good to great between the companies that were uh, maybe in line with another company, but then they became great where the other company either went stagnant or eventually maybe went out of business or whatever. And some of the differentiators there. Um, and, and a lot of it had to do with a lot of communication, a lot of what you're talking about, asking the right questions so that we know how to uh, manage things moving forward and, and meet needs <laughs> and so forth. Yeah. How, does yeah. that, how does that all play into when you talk about, uh, use the word purposed, a business was purposed to be or an organization, how does this all play into that side of things? Uh, because it's all kind of an interwoven fabric of a, of a business uh, when, when you talk about kind of the vision and the end game of the business itself, how do we kind of incorporate that with what you're talking about, getting back to the kind of grassroots level in the company person by person with training? So what, what's important today, in, and especially in today's culture, it, for so long it was employees are a cog in the wheel, they come in, they do their job, they punch in, they punch out, and that's it. But people today want to know that what they're doing is making a difference. Mm-hmm. So when you can line up, and this, this plays into motivation theory, um, and even like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So when you can take mm-hmm. a person's purpose and their personality and their drive and line it up with the company's vision, you have a total win-win situation there because that employee is going to come in. They're going to give their very, very best because they know that what they're doing is making a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a company has to know how to constantly be communicating their vision, Mm -hmm. constantly letting their team know how that vision, um, how that vision is accomplished by the team member's contribution. And so when that, when that happens, then everything just starts moving forward and you just keep building momentum and there's wins all the time and everybody feels so much better about what they're doing and, and they look forward to coming into work. And that's, that's ultimately what you want as a manager. You want a team that's engaged. You want a team that's excited to be there. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and that, those are all excellent points. How does a leader, because you talk about the leadership side of things, whether it's a team leader or the manager or the owner, the president, whatever it might be, how does the leader in this organization or maybe branch of the organization facilitate kind of creating that culture you're talking about more specifically in terms of people really wanting to come to work, maybe have a camaraderie, make it real a, a team effort, not just a clock in, clock out? Because so many people, it seems to me, uh, have a job, go to work to get a paycheck, and that's kind of their end game. But when, when we can all be part of maybe a vision and a purpose, it seems like that kind of caters to the deeper parts of what we are as people <laughs> that, that maybe create a new, uh, deeper level of motivation and maybe even work ethic. So how does the leader facilitate all of that more specifically? Yeah, uh, the, I think the what, biggest reason why leaders don't do it is, A, they don't know how, so mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked the question, or B, they're afraid that that's going to become their all-consuming thing. Mm -hmm. It actually takes such little time um, and an investment in the people to to accomplish these kinds of results. The biggest thing is asking questions, but that can be a once a week sending out an email to every team member. And the thing is, is it doesn't have to be this individual question for each team member. It can be, um, tell me what you're most proud of, of what you've accomplished in the last 90 days. Well, that's a blanket question that you send out to your team, and then you get back these emails, and you you have these wins to celebrate, and then, you send, again, you send out at the end of the week, hey, thanks so much for all of your answers. These are the some of the wins that everybody's celebrating. I want us to all celebrate together. It yeah, yeah. doesn't even take 30 minutes a week to do that. Yeah. And how do they then celebrate together? I mean, in business, a lot of times there's weekly or even daily or whatever meetings, and it's uh, dealing with the ins and outs of the business itself. Uh, is, do we make that part of a, a meeting that people look forward to, or maybe on Friday or whatever the work week is? <laughs> it's celebrate time, and we bring in lunch. Or I mean, how do we do that? Is it any of those number of things, or what do you think? It is a number of different things, and that goes back to the culture of your company. It goes to the size of your company and the culture of your company. Um, I worked for a company that on Wednesdays from 3 to 3.30, they had Whiskey Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And all the team would gather. If you wanted to have something to drink, you could, and if not, that's fine. But for those 30 minutes, it was what's going on good in your life. And we would sit and we would talk and we would celebrate each other. Um, on Mondays was an all hands meeting and most companies will have that like, um, or even within the, the teams, they'll have this weekly gathering. Okay. This is what we're working on. This is the goals for the week. And, and to take that two minutes to say, Hey, this is something that we're celebrating. This is something I heard or I observed, you know, I was, I was walking to the bathroom and I saw that, um, Joe employee was just so compassionate and caring for our one of their clients, and this is a problem that they solved, and this is the way that they did it. And we just want to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, that's that's all great uh, input on that topic. And I and I think back. I recently listened to this uh, very comprehensive book about our friend Steve Jobs, uh, the late great Steve Jobs, who <laughs> was quite a, a figure I'm, in business. Go ahead. I'm still mourning. I'm still mourning his loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Steve. I mean, he 
is either a love hate for most people for Steve Jobs, yes. and he <laughs> yeah. he was a very very uh, intense person. From what I, I didn't get the privilege of meeting the man, but uh, yeah, very intense at what he did. Uh, I didn't realize that he was adopted and probably had some baggage and things. It's funny the, the little things when we're ch- you probably learned about this in psychology. The little things from childhood how they contribute to what we do in adulthood. And I can't you know I'm not going to sit in Sigmund Freud, Steve Jobs, but I will say that. Uh, when it talks about when he talked about building this uh, headquarters for Apple, um, they created the kind of this dynamic where there was a courtyard in the middle. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but he made it to where you had to kind of go around and hustle and bustle through this courtyard. And there were very limited restrooms, so you'd cross paths with people because most people go to the restroom throughout the day and so on. And so people are mingling kind of in a natural way as they're going to and fro in the business in the building and uh, and and sharing ideas and just kind of having a creative interactive team camaraderie atmosphere that way so he created kind of the whole thing you know, even in the physical sense of the of the building itself <laughs> so that to facilitate that kind of thing um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that but that's kind of not everyone is in a business where we've got multiple billions of dollars to uh, to build our own building and stuff <laughs> but it just goes to that level of business on a grand scale of uh, something that we ought to aspire to from any level of business, sounds like, because even the biggest of the big businesses are creating these atmospheres of camaraderie, team effort, recognition, creativity, all the things you're talking about. So now, you go ahead. That's fascinating. I, I love that he did that. I'm actually connected with uh, somebody I can't remember <laughs> Right now, it's just really bad. Um, but I'm connected with somebody on LinkedIn, and that's what their job is, is creating those spaces mm. for, like, they go in to companies and to offices and and create those spaces with in, the intentionality that Steve Jobs did. Yeah. Um, and, and for those companies who don't have the millions of dollars or even thousands of dollars to do that, yeah. you can still accomplish that feel with... Uh, modeling by the manager of getting out of your office and going around and spending time, just even checking in or even I've been at companies and I've seen organizations where when team members are are walking to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. that even though everybody else's doors are open, nobody looks up, nobody says hello, there's, there's no interaction, but even that simple waiting as you're going to the bathroom to somebody that changes the dynamic of the atmosphere yeah yeah because later in the day or earlier in the day it's uh it's more interactive it kind of opens doors opens everybody's uh interactive juices so to speak to <laughs> to right. do all these sorts of things and, and steve jobs and we don't need to spend too much time longer on steve but there's a lot to learn <laughs> there the book i listened to was over 20 hours i think so it's wow. very very in-depth but uh, <laughs> in any case, he was very, very detail-oriented. You just look at Apple products. He was very kind of a control freak. Uh, I don't know that that's a technical psychological psychology term or a diagnosis, but he was a control freak, and there's probably deeper, uh, uh, <laughs> longer words that we can diagnose that. But you look at what Apple products are and the very controlled environment that's there from the software to the hardware, how it's all kind of uh, maintained. Um not, and so every business and every leader is going to have their style. Not everybody's going to be Steve Jobs, 
But from a leadership standpoint, what I've understood and what I've done in my own businesses is leaders have to be kind of out in the open with the people. It's kind of what you're saying too. And yes. some of that happens on a one-on-one basis. It's not just here I am in front of everybody on the platform and the microphone, but one-on-one interacting and uh, maybe based on these blanket question emails, kind of going around and talking to people and having some interaction that shows that people matter. Because when the leader's doing that, it seems like that's that's one of the biggest things by example that might foster that same uh, atmosphere, that same... Uh, <laughs> culture with the rest of the business. So what, what exactly. do you think on the on the business level? Because we talk about things like micromanage and macro, these terms of micro and macro. What is that? How does this all apply with the, from the leadership standpoint? I'm sorry, I'm a little long-winded here. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ask your question again. Well, when we talk about interacting on a one-on-one basis oh. with the individual employees, and then people use kind of blanketly use terms like micro and macro, and he's micromanaging and, and so on and so forth. How does all that play in in terms of the human interaction? I mean, our podcast empower humans, so we like to talk about the human level of things. Uh, right. So when we get to the nitty gritty or the one on one, how does this all play out on that on that kind of uh, plane as far as micro, macro, and and the individual interactions? Yeah. The individual interactions should not be translating as micromanaging per se. Although, you know, micromanaging gets such a bad rap. It's like, and obviously there's a place for it and there's an appropriateness for it um, because it just means that you're managing on a smaller, more individual, one on one kind of situation. Yeah, And people have taken micromanaging to mean that, oh, this is a manager that's a control freak. Um, it, it can typically mean it's just a more hands-on kind of manager, which isn't, again, it's not a bad thing. Um, but when you, you talk about human interaction and management, the important thing to remember is that you're managing people. Even if you're a project manager and your role is to make sure that um, all the pieces are getting done and on time and on budget, it still involves people. Mm -hmm. And that's what's that's what's important is is that remembrance is that um, if you can adapt, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. your management style to be considerate of the people, then you're going to be significantly more successful. So Does that answer your question? Yes, yes. And it's about making people matter. Because I remember I mentioned Good to Great earlier in, in other books and so on. Um, and, and by the way, another plug for books. I've been reading and listening to, this isn't just something to toot my own horn or whatever, but it's something we all ought to continue learning. And on that note, how does that play into business? I mean, do you teach people these things with the, the, what you do as far as educating and what Stephen Covey might call sharpen the saw as the seventh habit? <laughs> How yeah. does education work? You talked about training earlier, but as far as kind of individual initiative to listen to and read books and so on. Oh, absolutely. So apart, with my service, I do training, um, I do group training, but I, it also includes one-on-one coaching. And that one-on-one coaching and consulting is going to include homework and some of that homework is is reading because I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't read some really great books um 
that's that's the best way to learn. Otherwise, I would have to be in class like for the rest of my life, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to have these books, people who read, you have the opportunity to be mentored by somebody that you're never going to have the opportunity to sit under. I mean, even people from hundred years ago who did amazing things. Yeah. I read Margaret Thatcher's biography and that was fascinating to see how she developed and how she came into being who she was and, and how she learned to do the things she did as a leader and why she did it. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously never going to have the opportunity to have a conversation with her to find that out. So reading is a hundred percent important for for any person, because we have to keep growing. Right. Is it something where uh, maybe some business might uh, take that to a new level and make it kind of like, uh, you know, Oprah's got her book club where here's the five books we recommend over the next uh, 60 days and uh, make some accountability. Who read what and maybe talk about it at the top of the meeting that that Jill over here reports, uh, <laughs> hey, I finished the XYZ book uh, and this is what I learned, and that's a two-minute little thing, and let's go into the meeting. Is, is there something like that that might help uh, businesses too? I mean, I guess it's case-by-case, business-by-business, culture-by-culture, but the, we're just giving ideas, I suppose. What do you think of that? As far oh, as- I love that idea, and I know that there are companies that I've worked with that do that, where they, okay, we're all going to read this book together, um, and so they assign, you know, this week we're reading this chapter, and then when they have their weekly all team meeting, they'll spend the first five minutes of, okay, what was your takeaway? Um, and then if, mm-hmm. if the manager doesn't necessarily hear some of the points that he was hoping that his team would get, then he'll talk about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. And, and, uh, when we talk about people themselves, again, we revolve around humans here and people, what, what they are, uh, one of the things I was going to point out as well is getting kind of the best people for a business I found and from multiple books as well as I read and learn myself is that getting the best people is is possibly the most important aspect of a business. Finding people who are qualified, finding people with the right work ethic and uh, that fit into the culture and so on. What do you have to say about that specific topic about getting the right people? Oh my gosh, that's absolutely critical. Uh, but getting the right people, it goes so much beyond just looking at the resume. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've helped companies with recruiting, I will have a phone conversation with almost anybody who submits a resume. There's some people that's like, oh, clearly you didn't read the job description. Um, but even that, it's tell me how your experience from your previous employment translates into what you're reading as the job to be. Mm-hmm. I'll give them that chance because you have no idea. You have no idea what's what's in somebody's head. So to find the right person, you um, it actually starts with understanding the job well enough to be able to almost you create a profile. This is what I help my clients do is create a profile of who that employee is and like, what is their personality and what are their strengths and what are their skills? 
from that, you can actually design a personality-driven ad for the job, which is going to attract, be, be more attractive to the person that you want to attract and detract some of the people that this is not going to be a good fit for. And then in those, those initial interview questions, it's understanding not only can they do the task, um, but do they, like you said, do they have the character? Um, what are their values? And so you can ask them questions that will help you get a better, a more holistic understanding of who they are and how they can fit into the job that you are looking to fill. Right. And, and maybe all the while understanding that people are uh, work in progress at all times and that maybe they don't, they're not everything that maybe you drew out on your diagram of what this person needs to be but maybe if a person is more moldable more humble perhaps than this other just as qualified person maybe that's the person to pick is the one who's more moldable to to the culture and things uh as well but that again it's all case by case for what the needs of the business are and what the specific job and role is do you have any specific uh you've got into some things with the interview any more uh ideas or tips as far as interviewing for these particular who the right people might be? Um, yeah, so with interviewing, again, having, I actually have a list of questions. Um, in fact, if your listeners want, if they want to get that list of questions, I'll, at, at the end of the podcast, I'll tell them how to get a hold of me and I can send them those list of questions. Absolutely. But it's pretty comprehensive in that it will, um, it will take a look at the entire person, not just their skills, but how, how do they do with other people and how have they handled stress and, and, and what are their goals? Like I know of a company that they were hiring people. They had this slot. They needed to get it filled really fast. The person that they hired had no desire to be with this company long-term. <laughs> it was simply a stepping stone. I was like, you just wasted thousands of dollars mm. in onboarding them and training them and getting them up to speed and giving them tasks to do and and then having to take that all away six months later to get it back to the person who had been doing it before it just it, mm -hmm. it was not a good use and and yeah. had they asked that question um the other thing with interviewing is make sure that you have at least two people interviewing at different times so that you get different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. That's a, that's a really good point because I, uh, you know, I've seen different settings where sometimes it's not that way. <laughs> and so you're, yes. you're throwing out some good and, and somewhat simple tweaks that uh, can really ramp up the interview process to be uh, what you need it to be. So like you pointed out in that story, not, not a loss in the end financially right. and, and in terms of time and everything. Um, right now, now what about things like you talk about the purpose of the business itself, uh, things like mission statements, uh, how does that, uh, work or help, or what are your thoughts on the concept of mission statements and the kind of an overall shared vision? Oh, I'm such a fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I do corporate retreats and part of it includes helping them create what their vision statement's going to be and what their mission statement's going to be. First of all, it's really important to clarify the difference between the two because not everybody knows 
that. Okay. The vision statement is a picture of what the company is is working towards becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, Walt Disney, when he first created Disneyland, his vision statement was incredible. And to see, it was so clear of what he saw in his mind. But even, you know, 60 years later, 100 years later, it's still that work in progress and that vision statement is still applicable. So it's what the company is working to become. The mission statement really defines like the how. The mission statement answers the three questions of who is our client, what are their needs, and how can we meet those needs? That's what the mission statement is. Okay. So when you have those two, not only do you become more attractive to potential customers, but that helps me. If I'm looking for a job, I'm going to go and look at your vision statement and your mission statement. If there's things in there that's like, oh, they're they're going in a direction that is not a good fit for me or I would not be a good fit for them, then that helps me as somebody looking for a job to say, that's not a company that I even need to waste their time or invest my time in. Yeah, yeah. Great, great points. And uh, now when we, we talk about vision and mission and then maybe a business starts to get into a flow and maybe have some success, uh, what are your thoughts when it comes to getting comfortable? Sometimes businesses get comfortable. We've seen in the last generation uh, a lot of companies that got comfortable with this old model of having a store at the mall, for example, and then all of a sudden Amazon, these other companies came around and changed the whole landscape of of retail and commerce in general and so what do we have to say about getting comfortable what what because i heard a, a business owner one time a pretty upper level ceo actually say that when you start to get comfortable you got to recognize it and that's when you shift gears and start to innovate even more and uh make change now again within reason and of course uh strategically but what do, what do we have to say about getting comfortable do you have any thoughts on that yeah like who would have ever thought that there wouldn't be a Toys R Us? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That was my <laughs> right? bread and butter as a kid. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Everybody looks forward to getting the Christmas Toys R Us mailer. Yeah, of course. And now kids will have no idea what that is. Uh-huh. That's right. I was actually, I read an article, um, I think it was an ink or, yeah, an ink about how millennials, there's things that they're not buying anymore. Hmm. And so because of that, like, General Mills might go, they don't think that it'll necessarily go out of business, but uh, millennials don't buy cereal. Mm. And so because of that, they're seeing these huge losses of their profit. I'm like, how could Frosted Flakes not be around anymore? So um, Mm -hmm. to answer your question, you're absolutely right. Companies need to look at what they're doing. Every company has a life cycle and they need to, uh, redefine and reevaluate every three to five years. It depends on their industry and, um, and it depends on, and that's a big factor as to whether it's the three to five, but every three to five years, you need to be looking at your company and saying, okay, is what we're doing sustainable to what is happening in the world around us? Um, right, right. I think it's Andy Stanley. He says that what got you to where you're at is never enough 
to move you to where you want to go. Right. Excellent, excellent points. I think back when I was a kid, my dad worked for AT&T. In those days, he was selling long-distance service and 800 service to, and this was in the 80s, to uh, yeah. to businesses. And, of course, that whole dynamic has changed. He used to tell me in the 90s, he said, eventually, uh, long-distance will be free. And look at the world. I mean, here we are. We're talking long-distance. This is a phone call, an old-school phone call, uh, but it's a free long-distance call, essentially, through cell phone networks and so on. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, and and I think back to I mean I don't mean to digress I think back to like Back to the Future where they went to the the far off year of 2015 and it was all about flying cars and holograms at the movies and all the and uh, these things about TV and food but the biggest change I've seen is the internet and the cell phones as far as and and it gets right back down to the same thing you're talking about on a smaller scale of each and every business of people interacting and that's what that's what has to continually change in the landscape of business. And I think of specific businesses, not just AT&T. AT&T has certainly shifted gears in big time ways to take over the cell phone market. And they have some TV services and so on. And they took over direct TV recently as well. But uh, right. like McDonald's, I mean, you and I all, we all grew up. That was our treat to go to McDonald's, get a happy meal. <laughs> yeah. But what's changed at McDonald's? They, they used to have the super size. Uh, it was all about more fries, more drink, more soda. Uh, <laughs> they've changed all that. They've changed up their menu. And they're, And I even just saw recently that McDonald's has, uh, now they have fresh beef. I, I guess it was frozen before, so now it's fresh, and that's upped their hamburger sales by 30% by just uh-huh. making these tweaks and changes to see what the market needs. Because fast food isn't what it used to. People have a higher level of expectations so I'm just throwing out examples. Do you have any thoughts or any other specific examples you'd like to touch on? Because I just think about that while we're talking of, you know, my dad yeah. with AT&T and McDonald's. <laughs> I was, um, we joke with some of the, the kids in our youth group because, you know, they don't remember a day without microwaves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, right? And I remember when the remote control was introduced on VCRs. And I mean, I remember VCRs being introduced, but then they came with this remote control, but the remote control was connected by a cord. Yeah, so it wasn't that's like, right. You know, there's been, there's so many developments. Things are constantly changing now. It's, it's comfortable is, and complacent is such a scary place for an organization because things are changing way too rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that culture was changing every five to seven years. And it's getting to a point where I, they're predicting that it's going to be measured in months as opposed to years. So yeah. we have to, as, as company owners, we have to always be thinking about what's next. And it's not that you have to be on the cutting edge, but, but a company has to at least be aware so that they can adapt to what is new and what is changing. Yeah. And what about social media? I mean, a lot of companies had to adapt where it used to be, here's a TV commercial and a billboard, but now it's social media. And it's kind of more interactive on a personal level uh, through the cell phones and all the other innovations that have come around. It's like changing how we reach people as well. Uh, what, what do we have to say about that as far as... Uh, it, oh. it, go ahead. Yeah. You know... I'm still very active in the church world, mm-hmm. and the studies have shown that, like I said, culture changes every 
uh, three to five years. And for churches, they typically change their culture and the way that they do things about every 30 to 40 years. Mm. Um, so they're all scrambling. And when you look at social media, this is such a powerful, powerful tool to make an impact in people's lives to get your products out there. I mean, you look at, you look at Amazon. You know, it started as this nothing kind of thing, and now they're so diverse in what they're able to bring. Social media provides an opportunity for companies to share their passion, to share their values, to broaden their their influence of making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And it and it truly takes minimal effort. Yeah. You know, it's it's about putting out you know, a tweet a day that is uplifting and encouraging that ties into what the company is, no matter what the company does, there's always something good to say. Right. Uh, and, and from that, you, you can build your influence as a company. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I look at like on Instagram and LinkedIn and some of these people, <laughs> there's a, a girl I know and her dog, which granted is adorable, but her dog has an Instagram account and the dog has like 30,000 followers. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is a dog. <laughs> but how much more can, can we as a company <laughs> or we as people take this and make the world a better place through the use of social media? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all kind of boils down to, you may have heard this uh, growth mindset, fixed mindset. There's a book, uh, uh, yeah, and uh, a whole kind of atmosphere around that. But uh, I think that applies both on personal and business levels in life to constantly strive to maintain that growth mindset. And like you say, these guys like Amazon started from nothing from from the garage. Uh, Microsoft, same story. In fact, Bill Gates tried to start in my hometown in Albuquerque, but uh, that's another story. But that's unfortunate that he, <laughs> he wasn't able to build Microsoft <laughs> there. But, you know, for better or worse. In any case, these started, and and you look around, even from like a church perspective, you think about Jesus, he taught in parables, he talked about a seed, and you plant a seed, which is next to nothing. He talks about a mustard seed, which is a teeny tiny seed, and and I don't mean to digress in the whole church, faith, spiritual area, but it's all interwoven to what we are as people, and we can learn things from these concepts of little seeds and, and nourishing and watering and sunlight and fertilizer and growing these seeds little by little. But it's like, and I remember Stephen Covey talked about uh, if anyone's a farmer, uh, you can't cram when it's farming. You talk about cramming like we do for tests. You know, you've been through school. (laughs) You can't, you can't, you know, (laughs) plant in August and expect to harvest in October. You gotta, you gotta do things in the right season and have some patience too. But it's about nurturing that growth mindset. Um, And how do we maintain a growth? I mean, I guess we've already talked about a lot of ways. Any other concepts about maintaining that growth mindset uh, in business and even on personal levels? The biggest thing is being intentional about it. Yeah. Um, and then when you're intentional about it, you become, it's kind of like, you know how when you buy a car and you totally change models and all of a sudden you see it everywhere. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, everybody has it. It's, yeah. it's that awareness. So when you're intentional about having a growth mindset and seeing 
learning about how to grow, um, seeing it work in your company, seeing people put into play what you've been talking about, and then having results from that, you start seeing that and becoming more aware of it. So then you keep celebrating it. And it's, it builds that momentum. It's like, it's like starting a fire from a little spark in that you start it by becoming aware of it and you celebrate it and everybody else starts celebrating it because you have more stories to talk about mm-hmm. and you have more wins to see and then everybody else starts seeing it. Right. And, and it, go ahead. It take, I'm sorry. It takes um, intentionality and not getting comfortable. It's, yeah. it's, it's so easy to get comfortable and be like, oh, finally I can take a breath. And there's definitely a time to take a breath and to relax and to recharge and to to ride the wave um, mm-hmm. with the understanding that there's going to come a point where that wave ends and you have to start all over again. And yeah. so making sure that you have that process in place to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think too, of you talk about life cycles and even product life cycles and stuff. It's just, we have to constantly be mindful and cognizant of that reality to continually grow and innovate and and be aware that maybe there'll be stumbles along the way, but it's this culture where it's not just about money because business, a lot of it is about money. That's why we're in business in part, but it should only be in part. The money ought to be a, a kind of a, uh, I shouldn't say afterthought, but it's a, it's a byproduct of operating a business the right way, handling people the right way and treating clients the right way and so on. So Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and how does all this, I don't mean to shift gears too much here, but all these principles, there seems like there's a way to apply them in some different ways in other organizations, including families, you know, sports teams, you talk about church, it's not just because those are nonprofit versus for-profit. Um, do you have any thoughts on that as far as, like, because you talk about this uh, organiz- business organizational uh, psychology, but how does all this apply in other aspects of our lives? Any, you know, quick thoughts on that? Anything that you do to apply at an organization, if you're a manager, you're a business owner, and you're running this organization, a lot of those same principles do apply in relationships because that's what we're talking about that it comes down to is it's that human touch. It's relationships that make a business actually work and be successful, whether Mm -hmm. it's between managers and employees or the business and their clients. There's always that human touch. Well, those same principles apply when you're home or with your friends. When I do a workshop on personality and on communication, those exact same principles are applicable at home or uh, when you're out with your kids or when you're out in your community. It all applies. It's all you know, it's not like, oh, this is just for when I have my business hat on. They're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's great to point out so that we're not uh, compartmentalizing our lives too much. It's, I mean, to an extent we should because there are different categories and uh, we can talk about time management. And uh, and by the way, do you want to say anything about time management, uh, calendars and how that all plays into business? As we- <laughs> because... To guys like Tony Robbins talk about, he uses the word chunking, where you chunk, this is the business things, and then you have time 
this is I've got my two hours here. I'm doing some things with my kids, the baseball practice or going to the movie or uh, but chunking our time. But anyway, what are your thoughts as far as time management as we kind of come to a close here? Sure. As far as time management goes, and that is a totally different topic, but uh, time, <laughs> time management is about calendaring your priorities. Yes, yes. I couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've got to map that out on an individual level because all of us have time that's not just for business, not just for sleeping, hopefully, not just for uh, the kids right. and whatnot. So you have to kind of map that out. And uh, uh, in any case... Tons of great material, and some of my takeaways here are the we're talking about this growth mindset, we're talking about communication, we're talking about making people matter, you're talking about recognition, you're talking about uh, interacting and celebrating wins together, making this about people growing and celebrating and being happy together. It's not just all about let's get money, 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 just cold hard cash, it's about all these other things too. Any last thoughts, uh, Jill, uh, that you'd like to share? Those are all great takeaways, and when companies focus on those things, the money will will be there. Yeah. And so when they can shift shift their focus, uh, they're going to find that they're more fulfilled, they're happier, uh, they're going to be surrounded by happier people, and life is just going to be way more joyful. Yeah. And, uh, and as you mentioned at the top about being rebellious, too. <laughs> You know, guys like Steve Jobs, guys like Walt Disney, these were all rebellious people. Not everyone needs to be quote unquote rebellious, but we, I, I kind of don't like the cliche expressions like think outside the box, but we can be creative. Right. We can be quote unquote rebellious. The whole world changed with guys like Steve Jobs though. And exactly. not everyone needs to go change the world necessarily, but have these growth mindsets, be a little rebellious like our friend Jill here. And, uh, <laughs> These are, these are some things that I think we can all take away. Now, how can everyone get in touch with you, Jill? Yeah, that is so <laughs> great. I hope that they do get in touch with me because I love uh, connecting with people. The easiest way for listeners to connect with me is to pick up their phone and open up their messaging app and text the word LINK, L-I-N-K, to 31996. Okay. And then if you could put in the show notes, I'm sure you will, if they want to get a copy of those questions that I talked about, yeah. they can text the word questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, to 31996, and I will make sure that they get a copy of those questions. Okay. I'm making note of that, too. We're going to uh, have a little intro here, and we'll throw that in the intro of the podcast, and uh Thank you so much for your time. Tons of priceless, valuable uh, material here. So for our listeners, and thank you, Jill, for your time. Until next time, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.